Right. Yeah. So, hello. Welcome to Talking Catholics tonight. I'm David L. Gray. I have a special guest for you tonight. Um, you've seen him in on, on EWTN. You've heard him on the Morning Glory show. You've probably, probably seen him come speak at a conference or a retreat near you. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers will be on shortly, and uh, we'll be taking uh, we'll be talking about his faith journey and his calling, uh, the calling of um, this Advent season. What is it calling us to? We'll be talking about that, and um, he'll also be answering any questions you may have. So, if you have any questions, just please drop them in the comment box, and we'll get to them shortly. So, really, not much new since we were here. Yesterday, this is a special show. I really don't usually do one on Wednesdays, usually Tuesday and Thursday format. Um, and so we're here yesterday talking with Father Hamann. And so we were really talking then about um, all the really the, the, the current events and everything that, that's that's going on. Um, and so really nothing new today on, on that front, right? Um, a lot of talk today. I've seen a lot of chatter today talking about um, the, the, um, you know, the vaccines, you know, what's the, what's the morality, what's the moral issues involving taking a vaccine or not. And a lot of clerics were coming out talking about what well, the moral issue, the moral object there is whether the vaccine has aborted fetal parts or was tested on, um, aborted babies or baby, aborted baby parts. So that's really the moral issue. I'm going to talk a little bit about this on my Facebook page and I'm um, the general consensus from a lot of people, if they're People, most people, I guess, aren't really interested in taking a vaccine, but those who are um, definitely want to avoid the, uh, the vaccines that were um, have any um, relationship whatsoever to um, aborted babies, because uh, that's participation in the evil of um, abortion. So, yeah, that's the general consensus there. So I'm going to bring Deacon Harold Burke Simmons in, so get this conversation started about Advent and I'd like to see if you guys have any questions or comments, please drop them in the comments below. But we will begin right after this eight-second introduction to Talking Catholic. Deacon Harold, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, David. It's great to see you, brother. And I, and I got to tell you, um, I, I'm, I still loving your book on the liturgy, man. <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> it really is good. It actually took me by surprise. Uh, your approach is spot on. Uh, yeah. in fact, I'm going to be using that book with my uh, RCIA class. Uh, oh, the, the wow. Right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I guess we're both going to be using that book because I got teach RCIA too. <laughs> yeah, I use that. Once we get to the, um, to the liturgy, yeah, that's the book, the format I use. So yeah, I really appreciate when you, when you, um, we did that, that review of my book. I was like, man, this is so phenomenal. Because, you know, I look up to you. I've looked up to you for years. I've seen you at a conference before. And um, I came into the church in 2006. And um, you've just always been there, you know, as far as I know. It, um, it, you know, the people who I, I've seen on EWTN and people I listen to on the radio. And, of course, I've read your books. I got two of them here. One I got on digital format, the one on the mask. I got the totes in here, and you see, I'm not one of those people that just, um, you know, I got your autograph here when I saw you, <laughs> but um, I'm not one of those people who just buy a book and get a signature. I've actually, you right. see, this thing is worn. You see, I get it's, it's folded yes. up here. I got yes. some dog ears in here, so, <laughs> so I definitely worth this book over. So if anybody in the audience um, hasn't 
read this book yet. Um, you can still find it everywhere online. And of course, um, check out my review. I'll, I'll link it after this over. I'll link my review to this book, which I thought was phenomenal. Caught me off guard because I thought it was just going to be bi uh, biography um, of, of, of Father Tolton. Really, you know, he really didn't write much, really didn't say much. I said, you know, what, what, what is this? You know, but I understood later, and it's like one of the most powerful reads um, of, of someone's life that I had ever read. So um, we definitely appreciate you for Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. So how did, so like I said, you, you've always, as far as I've, as long as I've been a Catholic, you seem to have always been there, right? So, but how did this whole thing get started with, um, but first, let me back up a little bit because I know I, I knew a little bit about your story. Sure. And I know at some point in time you were at the monastery at the monastery. Yes. Yes. You were gonna become a monk or something like that. Yes. What's going on? Well, you know, Dave is a it's a really interesting story. Uh, I'm actually from Barbados. I was born in uh in Barbados in the West Indies, and, and my family are first generation to come to the United States. So I was born there. My brother was born there. And then my other br and brother and sister were born here in the U.S. So oh. I'm actually a naturalized citizen. Oh, I'm wow. an immigrant. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously. So I, I didn't become a citizen until I was 17 years old. And, oh. uh, and, so, and I'm also the first baptized Catholic in the history of my family. My, oh. my mother was Methodist. And she converted to the Catholic faith when she was a teenager. Okay. I am the oldest of her children, and yeah. I'm the first Baptist. I was baptized three weeks after I was uh, after I was born. Oh, wow. yeah! And so what's what's interesting, David? A lot of people don't know this. I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with you because you you the man, David. <laughs> um, my mother had about five or six miscarriages before having me, and my mom was pretty petite. She was about five feet, you know, like 110 pounds and something like that, and so they thought she may not be able to have children. So when she was pregnant with me, they put her on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. And wow. she, she told me the story that when she was in the hospital, she, it, which, it was near a church. And when the Angelus bells rang at noon, I would move around. And so she took that as a sign. Okay. So she made a promise to God, God, if you let this one live, you can have them. Wow. That, that was her thing. And so, and, and looking back on that now, so powerful because that reminds me of Samson's mother. You know, yeah. and uh, of yeah. Hannah with yeah. Samuel as well. You know, you, yeah. you can, you, here's an offering to you for allowing me like to have a Nazarite. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, like a Nazarite. All right. And so, you know, the hair, you know, that, that you know, so I got that piece of hair. I'm not to cut the hair. So, that, you know, you know, so I fell away from that one. But, um, and so my mom thought that I, you know, her mind thinking, well, he might become a priest. And well, sure enough, when I was about uh, 11 years old or so, you know, and I've always enjoyed going to mass. My mom would tell me when she would go with my brother and sister, they'd be fidgeting around, you know how kids do at mass. Yeah. But I'd be like sitting, I'd, I'd always want to sit on the edge next to the aisle. And then my, I remember, I, I remember this. I, I sat on the edge next to the aisle. My mom was next to me. And then my brothers and my sister were on, her, on the other side. And I was like laser focused on what was going on at, at the altar. Now I didn't, fully understand what was going on, but I thought it was cool and I wanted to be part of it. Okay. And so my mom noticed that. And she said to me, do you want to be an altar server? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved being on the altar. In fact, I still do. I still have this, this kind of childlike joy when I have the honor and privilege of serving now as a deacon and the holy sacrifice of the mass. Yeah. But when I started serving as an altar server, oh, it was 
I, I just loved it. I remember one in, one time in particular, Father, I remember Father O'Connor still had the Irish brogue. I was serving mass for him, a weekday mass. Okay. And uh, I had my hands on the bells to ring the bells during the elevation of the, of the host. Mm-hmm. And when he, right when he was raising the host and I was about to ring the bells, I remember thinking very clearly in my mind, I can totally see myself doing that. You know, I, I remember very clearly. And um, uh, and so I went and talked with the, the parish, the, the pastor about it. Because, you know, why? Because I still like girls, right? So I'm like, oh, I can't get married. You know, so what am I supposed to do with this? Feels like <laughs> It was actually the most unhelpful conversation I've ever had with a priest. <laughs> so, But then I went to uh, St. Benedict's Prep in Newark. It's run by Benedictine monks. And there... Um, the abbot got up one day. We used to have something called convocation um, before school started. And during convocation, the abbot got up and talked about this come and see program. You know, kids that might be interested in monastic life. Okay. So okay. I ended up doing it all four years of, of uh-huh. uh, high school. And I went to college. I'm also the first person in my family ever to go to college. Yeah. And I, I would come back during the summers and live in the monastery part of the time. And so I graduated from college, worked for a year, and then joined the community. Kind of a natural progression, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never intended on leaving. Well, well, during um, the time growing up, my my parents divorced, and my mom, you know, I would kind of help my mom with the family. And so when I was in a monastery, my mom got sick and almost died. So I left the monastery not because I didn't feel I was called. I left to take care of her, you know. And 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 my and my sister was still in the high school at the time. Uh, you know, and my always, brothers were yeah. not. They weren't responsible enough to handle because I had to pay the bills and make sure my my sister ate and got to school and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when I was out of the monastery, I went to a wedding, ended up meeting the woman who ended up being my wife. So wow. <laughs> didn't wow. go back to the monastery. But but I tell you something, David. I'll tell you something. Um, that planted a seed in me. The love for silence, the love for liturgy, the love for adoration, the love for silence. That was a seed. That's that's been planted me. That's been growing and and bearing fruit, even till now, even yeah. to this very day. So yeah. I am grateful to God for that gift of uh, and, and praying the office every day, which I love. I love the Psalms. I love praying the office. Yeah. All of that was fostered in 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 those years uh, discerning a call to monastic life. And so even though it didn't work out, you know, in God's timing, but God's timing is always perfect. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So absolutely. I didn't. I never thought really thought because I heard part of that story before, but I never thought about the time you spent in monastery, all of the riches and the graces that God just poured into you. I mean, it's such such a just a rich treasure, even through high school. I mean, mm-hmm. such a rich treasure, and it, even the part about silence. One of, I think, one of the most powerful books I've read over the last few years um, was a book, uh, Cardinal Seurat, um, "The Power of Silence." Yeah, and, yeah, and um, it just and that's really. Don't you agree? That's where the mass begins. We, we sort of think the mass begins with the procession, but isn't that isn't that that time that we spend before those few minutes or those however long it is that 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 quiet and silent time, that readiness of being prepared? Doesn't the mass really begin there? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, Psalm forty six verse eleven says, "Be still and know that I am God." Mm-hmm. And the word for know there in Hebrew is yalda. And yalda means knowledge that's gained by experience. Okay. So you can you can translate that: be still and experience God ah. in the stillness, 
in the silence, in the quiet. Now think about this, David. Think about the call of Samuel, for example. Mm -hmm. Samuel was in the in the in the tent. Well, that was the temple back then, the movable tents with the priest Eli, and and he says, Samuel, Samuel, the Lord's calling. Samuel don't recognize the voice of the Lord, so he thinks Eli's calling. So he goes to Eli. Yes, I, 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 yeah. I what are you talking about? The third time, <laughs> Eli helps him to recognize the voice of God, mm -hmm. and that's something that parents. Priests, deacons, educators like yourself, David, need to help people to listen, especially our young people, to listen to God's voice. Because they, they, a lot of young people can't hear God's voice because they're not quiet. There, there's so much distraction, so much noise, so iPods and iPads and technology. I'm not saying those things are bad. Right. I'm saying it, it, if we're so immersed in those things, we cannot hear God speaking to us because yeah. God doesn't speak to us here. He speaks on what St. Benedict called the arum cordis, the ear of the heart. Right. And in order to hear that voice, you have to be quiet. So if we're preparing to really meet Christ in mm. word and sacrament in the holy sacrifice of the mass, we have to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive everything that God wants to give us. And the way we do that is to enter into the silence. But it's even hard to do that in church sometimes because the choir's practicing, you know, before and <laughs> You know, yeah. there's all kinds of distractions and stuff going on. And it's just, you know, we need to get back to that recollected silence and not be afraid of silence. In fact, we're, we're still afraid of silence in the mass. Think about it. The first reading, reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, da -da -da, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Responsorial psalm. As yeah. responsorial. Second reading from the book of Acts of the Apostles. Time out. God just spoke to us in his word. Mm. He's feeding us with his words of life. Can't we take five seconds, five seconds of silence or just to allow, you know, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And just, just be quiet and just allow God to speak to our heart in that word that he just broke open for us. But we're, we're uncomfortable. We have to fill every second of every with, with some kind of noise because we're afraid to enter into the silence. So I, I I am with you 100% that we need to regain this beautiful sense of recollected silence as we prepare ourselves to to meet the living God in the holy sacrifice of the mass. Yeah, and silence seems to be like just antithetical to hurriedness and busyness because like you said that um I think there's a lot of pressure too on maybe the the, the reader or maybe the choir, you know, we got to get mass done in an hour or we got you know we got to get out of here, we got to get to the next thing or the next thing. But silence is is it doesn't it doesn't it's not concerned with time, is it? No, it's, that's exactly right, and that's what's so beautiful about Eucharistic adoration. You know, is is we're meeting the Lord in the silence. Mm. Um, you know, even Jesus several times in the gospel said Jesus went off to pray by himself. You know, even he yeah. needed that time away of silence to engage his mind and his heart to in that beautiful covenant relationship with God. That a beautiful exchange of yeah. love and life and intimacy and communion. It's a relationship uh -huh. and like any relationship. And that's why adoration is so important. It's the silence, but it's the silence in the presence of God. Now, some people will say, David, they'll say to me, well, you can pray anywhere, Deacon. You can pray in your car. You can pray in your house. <laughs> I can even pray before the tabernacle. But yeah. why is it so important to pray in front of Jesus in the monstrance? And I say, oh, think about it like this. Um, when, when I'm away, Right. And, and, and I am traveling. I, I Skype my wife or FaceTime. You know, I, I could talk to her, but it's also but it's better to see her. But it's yeah. even better to be with her because mm. isn't it always better to be in the presence of the person that you love 
when you're speaking with them. Yeah, That's yeah. a difference adoration makes. We are in the presence of the person that we love more than anything. As a fact, Psalm 119 verse 88 says, your love is better than life. Oh no, sorry, Psalm 63. Your, psalm, your, your love, oh Lord, is better than life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think about the martyrs. Yeah. Those who have, as we as we pray, gone before us, marked with the sign of faith, who'd rather die than deny Jesus. Mm-hmm. Die. Then the, their love is better than life. And, and they engage the living God, um, literally spilled his blood for him. We're not asked, at least in the United States, other countries, China, many co- uh, countries, right. continent of Africa, our brothers and sisters are spilling their blood for the Lord. And, and not denying Jesus. Yeah. Uh, ours is more of a, uh, you know, more of a subtle persecution, right? Or maybe not so subtle anymore. You know, you look what's going on in our country. Yeah. Um, but but we still cannot be afraid because in that silence, because that's where we meet God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, I know my wife is probably listening to this um to this podcast or watching it, and I want to. And say this now that you heard Deacon Harold say this because we were we were upstairs this morning, Deacon Harold. You know, I was off work, and so I'm just sitting in the bed. You know, she she you know she's at work. You know, she's working on a computer, and she turns around and she sees me just staring at her. Marriage is a type of you know because the one you love, you adore your wife. You know, it's 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 a form of uh, you know of um, adoring your spouse in a sense. You know, even greater when it comes to Christ, but it's a type of adoring the one you love. So I'm just staring at her. She turns around like, what are you looking at? Oh, you just, this, this is it, wife. Deacon Harold just explained it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, because we, we do have the image and likeness of God made uh, in, in each other. But here's here's a, here's a thing that you might, I, I want the listeners to consider uh, and the viewers to consider. You know, sometimes the church gets a bad rap when it comes to this understanding this theology of women. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, women are, uh, you know, they can't become priests. They can't do. I said, so in order. So in order for a woman to be a woman, she has to be a man. <laughs> I mean, that makes her a better woman. by wanting to become a man. See, priests are fathers. Women are not fathers. But check this out. You see, they'll say they'll say even in creation. See, God created the woman after the man. See, the man's always first and the woman's always second. So yeah. so what do we try to do in this culture to address this seeming problem, which is not a problem at all, which I'll explain in a second. But mm-hmm. so what do we do? Instead of saying brothers and sisters, we'll say sisters and brothers. See, we have to we have to make room to put the woman first. Right. No, right. God knew what he was doing. The right. woman wasn't created second, she's created last. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in Genesis one, all the all of creation, all the animals, and then male and female, yeah, yeah. he created them. Not second, last. Last. And Genesis 2, it creates the man, Adam, which doesn't mean male, by the way, in Hebrew. Adam has a sense of the fullness of humanity. Isha and Isha are male and female differentiated. But but so he's depicted as Adam, and out of that fullness, right? Uh, so, so he's there by says it's not good for man to be alone. And God creates all the other animals, and then finally, from his side, um, uh, comes the woman. Not second last. Mm. Why? She's the high point. She's the pinnacle. She is the, the, the cherry on top of the whipped cream of the ice cream of God's creation. She is the greatest of God's creation. And she's, and she saves his best work for last. Mm. Why? She's the life giver yeah. and the life bearer. Huh? And, and that's why Satan goes after her first in Genesis three. 
It's not because she's weaker. She's weaker than me. No, 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 no. That's not at all. The word of God even bears that out. In Genesis 2, it says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a, a, a helper yeah. fit for him. Yeah. Now, the word for helper, or actually, it's a compound word in Hebrew, helpmate, a zeta konegdo, literally means someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds, protects, and defends in battle. Mm. God wanted to create a battle partner for him. Battle What's partner. the battle going to be against, David? What's the battle against? Satan. Satan. Yeah. The devil, sin and death, they fight together. So I don't want to hear this thing about a woman is weak. No, the, the word of God says she's strong and they fight together side by side. In fact, if, if you look in the Hebrew, the word which says the rib, the word there is selah in Hebrew, which doesn't mean rib. It literally, if you read in Hebrew, it literally says he took his side and created her. But But for us in English, if we said side, your model, what do you mean by side? Left side, right side, right. Um, side of fries? You know, so <laughs> side, side means a lot of different things for us. So we use the word rib because uh, for an English speaker, that that can show exactly where that's yeah. coming from. Yeah. But a Hebrew person would have understood that would have meant the middle. Uh, so they created um, equal in dignity before God. But she's okay. the pinnacle. She's the high point, which is why also we have such great reverence, honor, respect for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right, right, right. You know? So the, think about the greatest saint in the history of the Catholic Church is not a pope or a bishop or a man. It's a wife and a mother. A wife and a mother. Yeah. I love that image you gave of, of, of that, the, the, the image of taking it from her side and also the image of having a battle partner parallel to you. Those go hand in hand. That's such, yes. a, such a really beautiful image. But your mother played such an important role in in your life as well. Obviously, you know, with, um, <laughs> you know, almost basically consecrating you to the Lord, um, and as well as um, she was a woman of faith. I mean, I heard a story about how she prayed your your father. Oh my goodness! How she reconciled you in the relationship. I mean, just prayed for him for for decades. Yes. So, what type of impact did True your story. mother have on your life? True story. Um, you know, after the divorce, um, my parents really didn't interact very much. Um, uh, I, I, I really, except for a, a couple of occasions, didn't really see them together uh, after the divorce was over. And, um, and, and I remember when I was moving out to the West Coast, my mother asked me to pray for my father and I told her no. Because uh, at that point, my father and I were estranged. And, and that started when I joined the monastery. He, oh, he was not happy at all when I joined the monastery. He thought, my son, you know, what are you doing? Live with a bunch of men. What's wrong with you? That kind of thing. Yeah. So he he was not a person of faith, so he didn't get it at all. But he just allowed us to be Catholic as my mom, because whatever you want, you know. Um, and so we became estranged at that point. We didn't speak for 18 years. And so fast forward now, um, 20 years later, um, I, my father, uh, it's a long story, right? but you can watch the YouTube video where I talk all about this yeah. in detail. Uh, it's called Rich in Mercy. Rich in um, Mercy. So, yeah. In fact, you, didn't you just share? Oh, yeah, you sure. Just yeah, share yeah, yeah, you just shared that talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where, I, where I talk about the details. So I won't go into it yeah. here. But but suffice to say that um, the initial rec reconciliation of my father entailed him coming to Oregon for the first time. He never met my wife or kids. Yeah. So uh, he came out and he also reconciled with my mom that weekend. 
And um, after that reconciliation with my mom happened, a couple months later, uh, my mom called me into her room and told me to sit down. And she said, remember when you moved out here, what I asked you to do? And I said, yeah, you, you asked me to pray for Pop. And I said, no. And she said, starting on that day. So the day I moved to Lee's Organs, 20 years now. She said, I started praying a rosary every day with the sole intention of reconciling with your father before I die. Yeah. And that's what happened when he came out here. I was like, wait, what? I said, mommy, let me see if I get this straight. The day I left to move out here 20 years ago, you started praying a rosary every day for pop? Yes. What happened after year five? <laughs> after year 10? After, mommy, after year 20, you yeah. pray for pop every day? Yes. And you didn't stop? No. And she was serious. I was like, I mean, I don't have faith like that. Yeah. You know? Um, but, and God granted her wishes. They reconciled it. My mom died a month later from the time I sat in that room with her. Um, and she told me this. She, she was dead a month later. Wow. And um, God, God gets the door. In fact, she never took her wedding wing off, David. Never took it off. She worked the entire time um, uh, through her marriage and, and everything. In, in fact, she wanted to be, I was going to keep it, but she said she wanted to be buried with it. Um, she wow. told me a long time ago she was. So I, but I did take her miraculous medal, though. I did, <laughs> I did, I did get that. Um, but that was, that was my mom. A strong yeah. faith, you know, simple faith. Simple faith, but yeah. oh, but just very powerful. And and since then, but I've had a relationship with the Blessed Mother, had just went to a whole nother level, yeah. um, because of that. Yeah, and won't. and my and my love for the Rosary, devotion to the Rosary, has also increased since then as well. Yeah, yeah. And I still have a. You were, I think you were, I think it's when I saw you in Columbus, you had, you had, you had told me about this, um, this Rosary right here. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I think, I think, I think really. I think once I, I got this rosary, I never realized how important it is to um, have a rosary that just makes you want. It, it's different for everybody. Some people make simple wood, you know, whatever. But for me, when I got this one, it just I want to go grab that one. And it just made the rosary more more of a habit for me. And so and I have all types of rosaries here. I have rosaries that's like 12 feet tall, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, but, you know, but it's, it's really that one. So yeah, I thank you for that. Oh, you're most welcome. Yeah, that's a soldier's rosary. That rosary is actually, um, uh, <laughs> actually it's, it's uh, Master Sergeant Michael Catone, yeah. who's the uh, Army Ranger, Special Forces and all that. Um, he created that when he was overseas in, I think, Iraq or Afghanistan. Okay. And um, uh, he, he had a conversion experience. And he made that original rosary out of bones of dead animals he found in the desert, and you know uh, these huge bullet shells and stuff like that. And and he you know, and so the the rosary that 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 we both have um, is is kind of a, a smaller version of his original uh, okay. of his original uh, rosary. And yeah. that's made by a vet, actually, a disabled yeah. vet, in Illinois, who makes those yeah. rosaries. Now. I didn't know that part of the story. That's interesting. And yeah. as a as a father. Um, and you live in Portland too. I mean, are, yes. have you been close to the um, all that stuff that's going on with? Oh no. So 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 what's what's happened? Well, it's not all that's calmed down now. Okay. Um, but but when it was going on, it's basically within a four or five block area of downtown Portland. Okay. Um, and we wow. we live out we live about twenty minutes from downtown, so we're out, we're out near the airport. So that didn't none of that stuff affected us really okay. at all. No, um, but it made it sound like it was happening all over the city, and people kept texting me, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Oh, really? 
we're, you know, we said, no, no, we're good. We're fine. And it, but, but here's the thing was, was interesting. They would have pro peaceful protests during the day. Mm -hmm. um, and that was fine. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, have the, you know, the, just the protests and the speeches, then they would leave. And then the, the uh, um, Antifa people would come out at night and, wow. and they're the ones causing the problems. I mean, yeah. why would Oregonians and, and people that live in Portland destroy their own stuff? You know, and in fact, one of the police officers shared with me, um, you know, I have I had a 23 year career in law enforcement. Yeah. And one of the officers told me that the, the last 30 arrests they made were from people not from not from I Oregon. Believe I believe it. You know, yeah. so the, these people being shipped in to cause trouble. Yeah. You know, yeah, and they're the ones that were destroying our destroying the downtown and the mayor and, and the officials just let it happen. You know, they were kind of had a hands off approach because people need to express themselves while people who invested their life savings, life savings in these businesses are just having them destroyed before their eyes. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's just tragic. Yeah, it is what's been happening. 2020 is such a such a such a weird year. I can't wait to read a book about this year. Yeah, it's crazy, David. <laughs> I mean, it, for, for everybody. I mean, think about it. You know, Ebola, H1N1, SARS, none of those shut down the world. None of them, you know, but 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 this coronavirus, COVID nineteen, shut down everything. Yeah, you know, literally put a halt. And so the way I the way I look at it, David, I see this this year as a spiritual stop sign from God. You know how you drive in your car, you get to a stop sign, you stop, and you look both ways. Everything's clear. Then you then you keep moving forward. That's how it's I, that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully you stop it. <laughs> but so, so I see this as a spiritual stop sign where where God is saying, "Stop," you know, and, and this is a time for us to stop spiritually and look left. Where 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 am I going in my life? Where, where how are things have been going up to this point, and where am I going? And is my life right now leading me to my ultimate goal, which is heaven, life with God forever, the beatific vision, living face to face with God forever in heaven. Um, and this is a time to stop and really think deeply and seriously about where I am right now in my life and my walk with God. Um, and, and I think this is a, now when, when this whole started for me, I was upset because I was, a, you know, Lent was just starting. I was in, I was literally in the middle of just starting a parish mission. Uh, the first night of the mission, a letter comes from the bishop and shuts everything down. I was on a plane home, you know, the, the next day oh, and had been, had been sitting at home for, for six months until I did a little bit of traveling September and October. But, um, uh, but it's been difficult, you know, for a lot of people, but, I, but what, so I'm, I've been trying to discover what is God saying right now? Yeah. What is God saying right now? So again, the way we discover that for ourselves is to stop and listen, stop and pay attention yeah. to what God is doing not just throughout the world and worrying about that stuff, but what, what's God doing in life? What, what does this shutdown and this pandemic mean for me and my relation with God? Now, of course, we have to, to care for others. And I'm not saying not to do that, but also just personally, you know, is this the time that God said I need to, to fix things with my wife in, my, in our relationship? Yeah. Is this the time I'm supposed to reconcile with my children? Is this the time that I'm supposed to have a deeper prayer life? We have more time. Am I using that time to pray with my wife? Am I using that time to draw closer to the Lord, doing more Lectio Divina? Um, you know, am I filling myself more with the fuel that's going to get me to heaven? Now, not being able to go to mass has been, you know, has been um, uh, has been tragically unfortunate yeah. uh, in some cases. You know, I, thanks be to God, I've been able to go to mass every week. Um, in fact, Father's having me preaching just about every weekend. 
now because I'm typically not here. Uh, I'm typically overseas or, or something this time of year. Right. In fact, I'm even teaching RCIA again for the first time in years because I'm here. Will you take on the RCIA? I said, sure, I'll be happy to, Father. And wow. it's been great. I'll get online, you know. Uh, oh, online. Stuff, okay. Yeah, online, yeah, because um, yeah, we, we still have some tight restrictions here in, uh, well, in our county. Um, you know, Oregon's a, a, a pretty big state geographically, but um, but our, our county is the most populous. And so we have kind of a, a little tighter restrictions in some other parts of the state. But, you know, the um, the archbishop has been working with the governor's office and we've had some uh, some relief, you know, from uh, uh, from some of the tighter restrictions now. So, yeah, that's good. But that sounds like. I mean that's really a great segue because I mean definitely you know your your life has changed this year a lot of a lot of people's <laughs> lives I mean even, even mine I went from you know um, you know my day job is selling cars so um, I transitioned to selling cars online now so I work in my basement mm. now so wow. <laughs> but uh but yeah so it's been it's been a lot of transition for a lot of people but um, now it's Advent season and 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 um and so what what you were talking about about the stop sign and looking left and right, not doing a California, not doing the California stop. Stopping and, and um, looking left and right and using all your senses and the spiritual senses when it comes to Advent and the first reading, I think um, last, last, um, last Sunday, it was um, from Mark and it was talking about um, keep watch. Um, Jesus yes. was saying, you know, keep watch. Really? And from Isaiah, it was um, it's really just a great testimony to the to the Lord, um, your Father Redeemer. Um, and it's really just talking about relationship between who God sees us is and our failures um, to God. So, what can you walk us through? Walk us through the Advent season and give us a sense of the calling of it and where we should where we should be. Sure, absolutely. Just a, just a quick primer. First of all, the word Advent comes from Adveniat in Latin, which means coming. So, for example, in the Our Father, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, you know, thy kingdom come. So this this coming. So so what, what do we talk about the coming? Of course, the coming of Christ at Christmas, right? Duh, right? But wait a minute. That's not the, the, the full import of what uh, Advent is about. Because notice the reading. Now, we're also in cycle B now because the, the church year started. Um, this past Sunday, the new the new church liturgical year, and you know cycle A is Matthew. Now we started cycle B, which is Mark. The next year cycle C is Luke, and then John. We uh, interspersed throughout the year, but the, throughout the year, but particularly during the the Easter season. And so, remember, Mark is writing to the first Christians. So he's he's the shortest gospel. He's writing to the first Christians who are 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 starting to die and to give their life. So he's so he's very he doesn't start with the birth narrative the birth narratives and the forecoming. He just dies right in. Roll up the sleeves, John the Baptist out there. You know, let's let's just go. You know, but but that's the message. So there's three messages for Advent. There's of course the preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas, okay. but there's also the sense that the, especially the the readings these uh, this last Sunday and this upcoming Sunday are also eschatological. That means it's looking forward to the end you know, the coming of Christ at the end of our life. Okay. That's another coming of Christ, another advent okay. of Christ into our life. And then the third one is how Christ interacts with me now, you know, uh, and, and how we receive God, particularly in word and in sacrament, how God comes to me now, especially in a sacramental life in the church, 
but also through the, the, the scriptures, through, through other people, mm -hmm. uh, through the great apostle that you have, David, that you're doing, which I'm a very close follower of and supporter of, uh, especially mm -hmm. your YouTube stuff. Love it. Great. You know, so how is God speaking to me? How is God coming to me now in those three different ways? So it's not just about the coming of Christ at Christmas. Of course, it's about that. The, um, uh, but, but there's also a sense of coming, his present coming to me now and also preparing ourselves for the future coming. And that's what this this uh, last, uh, uh, this first Sunday of Advent that we just had this past Sunday is, is speaking to. You know, the, the, the strong message there is be awake, be alert, be prepared. It's not talking about Jesus coming as a baby. You know, it's talking about it's us being ready, awake, and alert, which I think is exactly what this year, 2020, uh, is about. So it's, I think it's the perfect reading. We're starting the new church year to wake ourselves up. Now, why do we have to be awake? You know, um, uh, we, we have a tendency to be of, of, uh, awake during the day and asleep at night. That's the normal rhythm of our, our of our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, are people like police officers and nurses and firemen uh, that have to be awake and alert all hours of the day. Okay. Um, even, you know, and they have that, but their bodies have a tendency to, to, to want to fall asleep no matter how many lattes they drink, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but for our sakes, however, it is absolutely crucial that they remain, these first responders remain awake and alert and ready to respond because they don't know the day or the hour when they're going to be called into service. Yeah. And same thing with us. We have to be always alert and prepared because we don't know when we're going to die. All these prognosticators talking about, oh, the, these are all signs of the end times because COVID-19 is a sign of the end time. Jesus was very clear. No one knows when the end of the world is going to happen. So stop worrying about that. Hmm. We have to stop worrying about the end of the world and worry about the end of our world. <laughs> right, That's right. what we got to be worried. That's what we got to be thinking about. Hmm. That's what we need to put our effort and attention. Am I going to be, because I don't know when I'm going to die. You know, no one, but, but when that time happens, am I going to be ready to meet Jesus? Mm -hmm. Am I going to allow this culture to lull me asleep, to, to lose that sense of a, a alertness and awakeness, you know, as it tries to pull me deeper into porn pornography and more relativism and this rugged individualism, you know, um, uh, of, of contraception and, uh, and abortion and all that. Am I going to be lulled to sleep? By trying to be like everybody else, try to think like everybody else, to to sacrifice uh, the gift of my faith so I could be accepted by other people, or are we going to be awake and alert and stand um, close to Jesus, um, even if that means that I have to be attacked for my faith, even if that means I have to be ridiculed for my faith? Because yeah. uh, I because I'll say this, you know, uh, if people want to call me names for practicing my Catholic faith, call me all the names you want. Go ahead. Because if my Lord can be beat half to death by scourging, and if my Lord can carry the instrument of his own death up a hill mm. while being spat on and mocked and ridiculed and punched the entire time, and if my Lord could die on that cross for three hours for my sins, and I can't take, when somebody calls me a name, because I'm not afraid to be Catholic. I don't deserve to be called a Catholic. Right. It's another name for you, coward. Yeah. And when we don't stand up for our faith, then, then, then we spit on the graves of all of those saints hmm. who came before us, as we say, marked with the sign of faith. Yeah. <coughs> Felicity, Perpetua, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, all those saints named in the Roman canon, mm -hmm. they're there, their names aren't there, 
because they sound cool. <laughs> They're there because we're recognizing and acknowledging that the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed for the church. It's because of their sacrifice that we're able to have the faith and practice faith that we are today. Yeah. You know, so so Advent is that time of really thinking, and like I said, this we're talking deeply and seriously. Where am I right now? Am I ready? And if I'm not ready, what do I have to do to get myself ready mm-hmm. to, to, to be with Jesus forever in heaven? Yeah. And that image of um alertness from, from, the, from the first reading, like you you we, we talked about, um Jesus used the parable of a sentinel, a sentinel, you know, he stands guard at, at the gate. And when you when you're speaking about being lulled to sleep by by the world and his ways and his commercialism and his sins and, and all the, all this enticements and all those all those delectations, um, imagine I had the, when you're talking about it, imagine a sentinel on watch, right? His job is to, to keep watch and um, of any approaching dangers. And I was imagine if he just turned his back for a second to the gate. And looked at everything that was going on in the city at the time. Maybe, maybe it looked like New Orleans, maybe it looked like you know down, down in New Orleans and Bourbon Street. But you know, you see a bunch of carousing, and you know, he the more he he watches it, the more he gets enticed. And he and you know, we're, for first his head was turned, now his whole back is turned to the gate. Now this has consequences, right? Yeah, now he's being rocked to sleep by the what's going on in the world, and now he's approaching dangers come, and now he may he lose his life, but him not standing guard, his family loses their life, and people who's responsible for losing their life. So there, I think there's a lot of consequences to not. It's not just about us, right? It's about our family and our community. If we just if we don't keep watch, right? No, exactly right. Uh, and, and that's the warning by Isaiah in that in that first reading as well. You know, we he points out that um, that we no longer uh, call upon the Lord's name. We have to rouse ourselves and cling to Him. You know, our sins wither us, he says, like leaves, and our guilt carries us away like the wind. But if we allow God's uh, love to mold and to shape us, right, the idea of the pottery and the clay, which is also a theme, um, then we'll be prepared, awake, and ready to receive the, the king at Christmas, you know, where where God shines forth from his throne uh, in heaven to visit this vine and protect it from Psalm 80, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which was in uh, in the, the mass as well. Um, a, a time where there's, and what I love about Advent too, is a time where there's the most amount of darkness, at least for us in the Northern hemisphere, right. <laughs> where there's the most amount of darkness that, that winter solstice, that's when the light comes, that penetrates the darkness. So, the, and, and again, it says the darkness is not overcoming. It. It's the light that wins out in the end. Uh, so even when we think that the things are really dark in our lives, when mm. things are going really bad, there's the light, which is Christ that comes bursting and shining through. Even the darkest of our sins cannot suppress the light of Christ if we uh, remain open to receive what Christ wants to give us. If we cooperate mm. freely with the grace of the sacraments, right. um, then we have the power to overcome adversity in our in our lives. Yeah. Now, but John the Baptist, he's not the light of the world, right? No. Why does he play such? Why does he play such an important role? I mean, he's like a celebrity during Lent. I mean, we, we, I mean, during Advent, you know, he, you know, he's like in the like the in the next two readings, we're we're talking about John, John, his his ministry, his his calling, and his pointing to Jesus. Why did why is he important? Well, John the Baptist is important because he's the hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
He's the prophet that actually got to see the Messiah. All the other prophets speak about the fourth, like in Micah, for example, Isaiah. You know, um, we we see hints uh, in the Psalm, Psalm 110, the beautiful Psalm written by David, which is a a messianic Psalm of of Revelation, right? Which talks about Jesus coming, Psalm 22. Um, so we, we see hints of the Messiah. We, we see uh, the prophets speaking about the coming of the Savior. But John, wow. the last of the prophets, is that hinge because here's the, he's the, the connected to the Old Testament, but now he's also bringing us into the New Testament with Christ. Yeah. You know, so that, that's why John's important. In fact, Jesus himself says there was no one greater born of woman than John, than John the Baptist. Wow. Yeah. Jesus says that himself, recognized that because yeah. he, it, in a sense, within himself, represents all of Israel that mm-hmm. came before anticipating the coming of the Meshach, of the yeah. anointed one. You know, and, and now here he is. And John is the one that gets the, the, to, uh, re, to, to bring that beautiful message to connect the old and the, the, the New Testaments in a sense. I'm not talking about the books because there's no books written yet, right? But, right, but, but bringing, those two, bringing those two things together and John acts as that, acts as that beautiful hinge. Yeah. Imagine a conversation between between you know, John and Mary. I mean, because they both represent just just everything that Israel just always hoped for and had been praying for, you know, just the coming Messiah. And and so, yeah, I like I love how you how you how you said that. And, um, and speaking about John. John so John and, and, um, and the Blessed Mother Mary, um, as they, as they both or represent the fulfillment of everything that Israel had hoped for, everything that God had promised. Um, in, in in the fourth in the fourth Sunday of Advent, you know, we finally get to hear from Mary, but it's not in in this cycle. We don't hear about the nativity seed or anything like that. We hear about the visitation. She visits Elizabeth. Why is that? How is Mary visiting Elizabeth, taking Jesus to visit in the hill country of Judah? What does that have to do with Advent? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you got to see the power of that visitation. First of all, um, Mary becomes pregnant with Christ. So in a sense, she is the, the monstrance. She's uh-huh. now the first monstrance, the first vessel that holds in the tabernacle of her womb, the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. What is her first impulse to take Jesus out? Now think about this, David. When we receive our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, divinity, the most blessed sacrament of the altar, the holy sacrifice of the mass, we receive Jesus, then what happens? The mass is over quickly, and then we're out. Our first instinct is also to take Jesus that we just received, word and sacrament, mm. to take him out so we can be Eucharist to the world. Right. right. So that evangelion. Now, it's interesting. Evangelization, you know, uh, everybody says, oh, well, the gospel means, evangelion means, you know, the gospel means evangelization. Um, which just doesn't mean good news. It was, it did mean good news, except when the king, when Caesar proclaimed news, it just wasn't good news. It was life-changing news. Why? Because news from the king could change your life. And we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the good news of the encounter with Jesus can truly change your life. And Elizabeth recognized that. When, she, when Mary walked in, when the monsters came into the room, John the Baptist leapt in her womb. Why? He was the first adorer of our mm. Lord in the monsters of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm. Elizabeth recognizes, what is it that the mother of my Lord 
should come to me, which has strong parallels to Second Samuel uh, chapter six. You know where David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, and yeah. after Uzzah dies, after he he yeah. tries to brace the Ark, he's not supposed to touch the Ark because he's not a Levite. Yeah. And, he, and and he's, and David says, "How is it that the, the 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 Lord should come to me?" And the same sentiment that Elizabeth, "How is it that this new Ark of the Covenant?" should come to me. And John the Baptist left her home, recognized the presence of God. And notice this also, David, it's not just when Mary walked in, it's just when the greeting reached her ears, when the greeting reached Elizabeth's ears, uh -huh. which means what? John the Baptist also recognized the presence of Christ in the voice of the Blessed Mother. Mm. Mm. So when she speaks to us in the approved apparitions, you know, yeah. Fatima, Lourdes, um, Guadalupe, you know, those places, you know, we have to listen to her, mm. you know, because like any, any, because we're, we're brothers and sisters of Christ. So it means we're also sons and daughters of Mary. Mary's the archetype of the church. And, yeah. and so we're also sons and daughters of Mary and any good child listens to their mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so that's, that's the message for us doing that beautiful. And of course she has the Magnificat, which to me has very, if you go back and look at first Samuel chapter two, verses uh, one through 10, that song of Hannah, you know, mm -hmm. when Hannah becomes pregnant with Samuel, she gives this beautiful um, exhortation. It says some, some very beautiful parallels, actually, uh, to the Blessed Virgin Mary's Magnificat. You know, where both women recognize that God is doing, again, the life giver and the life bearer. God is able to do his work through the pinnacle of creation, which is the woman. And so they recognize that. And so they don't just talk about, oh, look what God did for me. You know, wow, look, look, look how great I am. No. Look what God has done through me for his people, Israel. And mm -hmm. they both recount how God has worked through history, you know, to bring about salvation. And who am I that the Lord is using me as part of, as part of his plan to bring salvation into the world, oh, to bring blessing into the world? It's awesome. That, that presentation is powerful. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is that song I oh, love. Presentation. Sorry, uh, visitation. Visitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song, of Magnificat. That's one of when, when I became a Catholic. That's um, had this little little prayer book. It was like a little liturgy at hours, but it wasn't liturgy hours. It was something else. But it was like a um a, a type of it. Um, and I remember just memorizing that because I thought that was so. Mind you, I did. I never picked up the Bible, the New Testament, until I was a grown man. I'm in my 30s. Wow. And so, you know, when I when I read that, I was like, this is the most beautiful song ever. And and, and it's a song that is, you know, it's not self-indulgent, but it's, it's, it's just, it's pointing, it's a song that points out. And it's the the humility of it is just, I was just, I was just so moved by that. Yeah. And, and it's not arrogant when she says, by the way, all generations will call me blessed, right? What comes before that? My soul magnifies the Lord, mm -hmm. right? And so again, it's not its not like, oh, I, I'm more special than anybody else. No, my soul mag amplifies the Lord, right? My spirit my spirit rejoices in God, my servant. He's looked upon his lowly handmaid, right? His lowly servant considers himself, you know, very humbly, yeah. considers himself one of the lowest of God's children. Yeah. But yet God has done this great thing. And that's what's because all generations will call me blessed. Not saying that you have to call me blessed, but they're going to say, because generations are going to say, look, look to her and say, look what God did. Man, is she blessed. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we, we do that now. And it doesn't, I mean, and it makes man, you that dude is right? blessed. Or, yeah, that guy's gifted. Man, that guy's blessed. <laughs> that guy's anointed. We say things like that now, mm -hmm. you know. 
and 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 uh and all Mary was saying was recognize the fact that people are gonna look in the generations and see how God has worked through her. And that's very humbling for her to come to that to that realization. Again, she's amplifying, she's not the one that's the attention, she's always like like she always does, draws our attention to her son. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary, isn't she just about all she I mean, she's just about all about decrease? I mean, she's a handmaid of the Lord. And 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 you know, looking at her just makes you want to, you know, become small to decrease so Christ can increase, right? Because she, she I mean, because she's just she's a handmaid of the Lord. I mean, she's you know, she's she's not presenting herself as great, she's not at, at the head of the table. Um and, and you know, and so God does did a great thing. With someone who like the little like the little flower, it's just it's just this 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 consistent theme we see throughout the last two thousand years of Christian history and even before that, of those who decrease so that God can increase in their life, right? Yes, exactly right, and that's what we need to do as well. You know, um, you know this whole thing about speaking for me, I I never planned on it. You know, I never planned on leaving my career to do this full time. Um, never even crossed my mind. But, but God put it on my heart and opened up a way for that to happen. I was scared. I mean, that's a door that's, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to support my family talking about Jesus? You know, I was being real, you know? Um, and, and so well, people, when people say things that compliment me, I'm like, no, I, look, I'm just the instrument. God's the musician. Yeah. See, and all of us, though, have to be finely tuned instruments in the hands of the Lord. It's not us, because after, if you go to a concert, you know, hopefully we can go to concerts again with live music soon. You know, yeah. but you go to a concert. At the end of the concert, you don't clap for the instruments. Oh, guitar, you did a great job. Oboe, you were awesome tonight. You know, no, you know, you clap for the musicians. And we have to remember that in God's plan, we are just instruments. Yeah. And 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 we're you know humbled that God has chosen me, some immigrant kid, <laughs> to the United States, first person family ever go to college to be a vehicle to bring his message. Again, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. I never thought I'd be traveling all around the world speaking. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it still blows my mind. Like what, me? Come on, man, what? You know, um, but again, it's just recognizing that I am, all I'm trying to do is be faithful to God. Mm. Whatever God's will is, that's mm. what I want to do. Yeah. And I realize that they make, that may change again. Yeah. You know, God's okay. Uh, you you did what I need you speaking wise. Now you need to go do something else. And when that time comes, I'll be I'll be open. So it's not going to be about oh man, I don't get to travel anymore. I don't get to <laughs> do the. Uh, who cares, man? Yeah. You know, one of the things I enjoyed, quite frankly, about this is not traveling as much as I do. I was doing two hundred fifty thousand miles a year, and you know, now to have that respite and to to really think and to really spend more time with my family. You know, my girls are home from college, you know, because their college is yeah. shut down, so they're home. And yeah. so we're having all this extra time mm. that we never thought we had because we, we were working our way toward being empty nesters, yeah. you know? Yeah. So now it's just the opposites happen. But but it's been, you know, so, so again, what are we doing to this time to prepare? And how is this time of COVID-19, especially during this Advent season, how is this really helping us to prepare in the three ways that we talked about? Can I? What does that mean that Christ is going to come into the world? Right. That the, the that He's already incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but now she's going to give birth to life itself. What are those implications for me? Um, uh, and then and, and you know, so in the coming of Christ into my own life, especially, I believe in cooperating with the grace of the sacraments, saying yes 
to what God wants to do in our life every single day. Mm. And then also looking toward the, the, the future, the eschaton, knowing that we're not gonna be here forever, that we are pilgrims. We are pilgrimaging right now on this earth because the pilgrimage, you go you know, for a while, then you come home. Our home is in heaven. Yeah. And the way we get there is through death. Yeah. You know, because you remember, you have to remember, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Mm. Christ conquered death, which is exactly why he had to die. Death is the worst effect of the fall, is death. Right. Uh, the word is mavet in Hebrew, which okay. just doesn't mean die, like physically die. It means to cut yourself off from God's life. Mm. Let, let that sink in for a second, David. Death doesn't mean, it means to cut yourself off from the life of God, that's mm. death. And, and that's what uh, Jesus came to help conquer, not only for the world, but also for us as well. Yeah, and that's beautiful and powerful. And um, as, we're winding, as we're winding down, we'd like to, um, we'd like to thank you, Deacon, for um, Deacon Harold for responding to God's call um, to go out and to evangelize and to preach. Um, so many of us have definitely been, been, been blessed by you, you know, you saying less, yes. And Michelle here, she says, um, she says, this pandemic was and is a time I've grown in my prayer life. It's been a blessing for me. Difficult, but good um, outweighs the bad for me because of the pandemic. I've, oh, I found your show, blessing. That's funny. <laughs> I guess because of the pandemic, um, Deacon Harold had time to come talk to us. He could be in Australia right now. You know, but the weather would have been better, but yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm I'm glad to be here with you, David. And like I said, this is a time where um, you know, God's kind of, you know, everybody's talking about pivoting, you know. <laughs> I'm pivoting to do this, I'm pivoting to do that during the pandemic. And so uh, I think we have to kind of pivot back toward the Lord. Yeah. You know, so and I'm grateful to be here with you, David. You know, I'm a big fan of yours and, and I love the work that you're doing. Uh so so keep it up, brother. We need you. Thank you. On our way out, can um, you give us a, 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 a blessing? Sure, sure, sure. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the great work that David uh, L. Gray is doing uh, in, amongst your, in your kingdom, amongst your children. Lord, we ask you to prepare all of us, our minds, our hearts, and our souls for a deeper reception of you this Advent uh, so that uh, this time of uh, preparation, especially during this time of coronavirus pandemic, may not just be a time of worry and fear, but a time of anticipation, a time of longing, a time of deepening desire for you in our life, Lord. And we ask you to allow our hearts to be open so we can receive everything that you are want to give us in our lives, so our ears to be open to hear everything that, that you are trying to say to us so that we can truly become the people you created us to be. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord, amen. amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.